that's my guitar noise from my mouth. <laughs> Party uh, on, Grayson. Oh, that's what we should have done. It's too late. We can never go back and re-record It's far this. too late. We have to go back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flashback Flicks podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are going to be reviewing the excellent movie from 1992, Wayne's World. So this movie is the second movie to be produced based off of uh, SNL characters. The first one being the Blues Brothers and this one being uh, Wayne's World from the sketch Wayne's World starring Sir... Mike Myers as Wayne Campbell, and Dana Carvey as Garth Algar. Everything you said is completely accurate. (laughs) Yeah. No, it is interesting to look at the SNL connection because this movie could exist independently, um, but it does fit nicely into that SNL line of buddy comedies that they released. Um, Mm -hmm. And even if they weren't directly SNL sketches, uh, a lot of the SNL people gravitate towards those buddy comedies. SNL buddy comedies... Uh, specifically, though, are, like you said, Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, Night at the Roxbury oh, yeah. uh, was another one uh, that Netflix told me to check out after I finished watching <laughs> this. Um, uh, but then even bridging into, like, Tommy Boy, uh, where yeah. you have just SNL people in this this format works mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the movie is... It opened, or I take that back, it grossed uh, one... $121 million, uh, not only making it the 10th highest grossing film in 1992, but the most successful SNL film, period. Like, it made more money than Blues Brothers, actually. It was way more successful. And that's why they made a sequel, Wayne's World 2. But we didn't watch that movie. Okay, we didn't watch the second one. We watched the first yeah. one. Yeah. But the second one only came out one year after the first one. Oh, that's fast. Yeah, very fast. <laughs> Different yeah. director, though. And there was oh, a, yeah. a little bit of drama about that. A little bit of drama. A little bit of drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, before we get too much into that, I uh, did want to let you guys know the movie is on Netflix if you do want to watch it. But in case you just recall it from your history, here's a brief synopsis of Wayne's World. So the movie follows the adventures of Wayne and Garth, the co hosts of a cable access show, in their quest for fame and fortune. Battling a crooked network executor, uh, executor, uh, executive who tries like to... they died and then they had the the will the executor of the, <laughs> the ex- will <laughs> was reading yeah. it out loud. <laughs> I bequeath the cable access show. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a very lengthy scene in the movie. I'm very confused by it. Yeah, yeah, totally uh, out of place. They're battling a crooked network executive who tries to undermine both their control over the show and Wayne's attempts to woo Cassandra Wong, a rock singer and bassist who also seeks to make her fortune in the show business. And that's what they tell you the movie's about. Uh, but it, I was actually surprised by how much it wasn't really about that plot. It's so uh, much more. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that plot almost plays background to uh, these scenes that just kind of happen throughout the scene. It's just like, hey, let's see if this happened with Wayne and Garth. 
which is fairly common in these kinds of movies. Like Blues Brothers, you think back, well, what was the plot of Blues Brothers? Like, hi, I think they're they're driving somewhere. There there were nuns involved. No, You're making money. No, they are on a mission from God. Yeah, but you'd be hard pressed for the average person to be able to say like, what is that mission from God? <laughs> right. Uh, you just remember these moments of them like being <laughs> in the church and things like that, and then. Uh, like even Tommy Boy, like, well, I know they're selling brake pads for the company, but the most memorable moments are just the natural interactions between these characters. Grayson. Yeah, you Ricky. Are, <laughs> you are a, what I would call an SNL buff, correct? Um, I'd like to think that I'm buff in many ways, not just <laughs> SNL. Uh, so can you give us like, a little bit of background about like that era of SNL? Yeah, so SNL was in a really interesting state at this point because the 80s had not been a good time uh, for SNL, specifically the early 80s. Um, yeah. And there is a lot of talent now that we recognize that had come out of that. But um, for a large part, like the Charles Rocket years when he was on Update, um, the Julia Louis-Dreyfus years, like they were talents uh, for sure that we that we completely recognize. But as a whole, Lauren Michaels had stepped away uh, during that time, and it, it was a very difficult transition from the original cast of SNL uh, through the early 80s cast. So a lot of finger pointing as to like what the fault really was. But coming out of those dark times of SNL in the 80s, uh, they were starting to rebuild these characters. And so in the late 80s and early 90s, you start to see some of the star power return. And mm -hmm. um uh, this younger guard that was stepping in as well. And part of the that uh, younger guard was Mike Myers, like known for his variety of characters, very strong um, comedic timing and sensibilities. And um, it, it started to pair well with other people like Chris Farley, who had his own personality, who this was actually his first on-screen uh, appearance, his first movie uh, was for... Chris Farley to have that one bit part as a, as a security yeah, the guard. guard, the bodyguard. Yeah. Before that, I mean, like we, we've been talking about the blues brothers movie uh, being the first SNL movie. Those were original cast members of SNL. They totally mm -hmm. skipped over like the Eddie Murphy years and, and uh, like Joe Piscopo and all that. And the next movie wasn't made until they started to recognize the star power of mm -hmm. people like Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Um, and uh, saying, hey, this is something that we can rebuild and actually take to a greater scale. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a phoenix rising from the ashes in some ways. It took a long time. There are a lot of stars in between there, too. I'm not saying that Mike Myers was the first to come back from that or anything like that. But as far as being able to ramp him up into this uh, to get to the point to be able to make a movie, um, he had been honing this character for a long time, even before he came to SNL in 1989. Um, yeah. He had been a teenager when he created the role of Wayne Campbell uh, back in, uh, I want to say it was 87. He was on a, a sketch called Wayne's Power Minute. Um, oh, yeah, when, he, on that yeah. Uh, Canadian show. Yeah, because he's Canadian, which you pick up in some of his accent throughout <laughs> Wayne's World. Um Master of accents, except when it comes to hiding a boot. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he had been on Canadian television honing this. And uh, I, him playing a teenager a lot of time comes from he was playing it since he was a teenager. Yeah. And so it, it continued to have that very natural feel. On the Dana Carvey side, 
uh, it that personality just paired really well as a sidekick to to Wayne Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. And Dana Carvey actually based that kind of personality on his brother, um, which was uh, a very natural thing as well. So you're playing two characters <laughs> that existed, uh, like the actors playing them knew what they were like as teenagers, so they were able to uh, carry that into their performance. That's awesome. So a brief history on the <laughs> development of Wayne's World and how we got to this point. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, I remember the sketch growing up, mainly on the reruns of, you know, doing, having Wayne's World, but uh, the only thing I distinctly remember from that movie is Bohemia Rhapsody, uh, which was actually something that Mike Myers fought for a lot to have in the movie. Like Originally, it was going to be some other random 80s song, uh, but he fought for that movie, or for that song, for it to be Queen's Bohemia Rhapsody. That's Such a only... strong choice. Oh, it's so great. And actually, because of that, song being in that movie it like bohemian rhapsody was not on it's been off the billboard charts for years (laughs) but when they made that reference in wayne's world it just blew back up i think it was back on the the uh the charts like back on the billboard top 100 wow yeah yeah Yeah, just look at the influence yeah well the music in the movie a lot of times people say well the music was like its own character when they talk about a certain film and this i don't think it's its own character as much as it is an extension of the personalities of the characters that already exist mostly Mm -hmm. wayne's um bohemian rhapsody he brings the tape he starts that party and not only that that's this is something that uh that i noticed throughout the film it is very dated, especially in the technology and the references. Is it ever? <laughs> it, it was made for that time, which makes sense coming from SNL. SNL is all about being current and topical. Yeah. And at the time, that's exactly what it was. But Bohemian Rhapsody does not start at the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody. It no. starts where it kicks into gear. So the party is immediately happening. And I think that's an extension of Wayne's personality as well. Um, also, the fact that they don't really know the words of the non-rock parts, like whenever, whenever it gets to the smooth ballad at the end, like nothing really matters. Like they, they only kind of know the words, and yeah. Garth is just mouthing along. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think it is an extension. Uh, and Dreamweaver, whenever he sees Cassandra, Dreamweaver. yeah, it's just that extension of his feelings, and so that the the music is it plays a really cool uh, integrated role into the film. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so we have the the uh, big TV exec played by Sir Rob Lowe, who Ro- young Rob Lowe looks a lot like current day Rob Lowe. He I, is a vampire. <laughs> he, yeah, it, it's just fact. Uh, Rob Lowe said literally, and it was the best thing. <laughs> That's he was right. literally jumping out of his seat. Um, but he... He did a really great job playing this really straight, kind of sleazy but not sleazy character. Uh, like uh, he, like I was pretty well convinced that he had no ill intentions until he started manipulating uh, Noah Vanderhoff, played by uh, Brian Doyle Murray, uh, a former SNL cast member as well. Yeah, like he did a 
he's related to Bill Murray, right? It's his brother, yeah. Brother. Okay, I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint the relation, but mm-hmm. man, I saw him I was like, is he a Murray of sorts? Yeah, yeah, they're they're brothers. Yeah. Uh another thing that dates this movie definitely is Noah's arcade uh, owned by Noah Vanderhoff. He he says in the movie, he says, well, I saw these kids like play this game and they put all these cores in arcade and I opened up Noah's arcade and now I'm a millionaire. <laughs> I'm just like, wait a second. What? Like he, he's a billionaire. From he does only- say 15 years later, I'm a millionaire. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, man, he made billion, millions of dollars and his made uh, his main <laughs> cash flow is coming from arcades. That's it's a lot of quarters. That's a ton uh, of quarters. Let's do some quick math on that. Uh, let's do some <laughs> movie math. A new impromptu segment called movie math. I'm going to take a million. Uh-huh. Uh, let me see. Count the zeros. One, two, three, four, five, six. six I've zeros. done 10 million. Here, one. one, two, three, <laughs> four, million five, six. dollars. All right. Got a million here on the calculator. We're going to okay. divide that. By point, oh, <laughs> I've been so failed by the public school system at this point. What do I need to divide that by? Uh, 15, if you're trying to figure out per year. I'm trying to figure out how many quarters it took. How many quarters oh. is in, oh, you just times it by four because I'm, yeah. So if you have a million dollars. Okay. Times four. I'm such an idiot. Of course, it's $4 million, so it takes f- <laughs> $4 million quarters. All right, so let's get back on track here. This is embarrassing. This is oh. my new favorite segment. This is why we do comedy. Um, all right. $4 million quarters divided by 15. That's... Uh, I wish Apple put commas in... <laughs> That is 60, that's 60 billion, no, 60, (laughs) oh man, now now it's a reading issue, it's not a math issue, it's reading, (laughs) that's 60 million quarters per year that he was receiving. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the end game is on this math problem. Per year, it's <laughs> 60 million quarters. Um, let's divide that by uh, 12 <laughs> to see what he was getting per month. Um, he was getting... I mean, uh, we, need to, we need to know these numbers just so we can present them to the bank so we can get our loan to open up our arcade. <laughs> our arcade. where the money's at. <laughs> Listen, he was getting man. 5 million quarters a week. Oh, wow. 5 million quarters a week. Uh no, that's a month. Did I already divide by 12? <laughs> I think that's 5 million quarters. I think that's 5 million quarters a month. We're, we're going to divide that by four. Uh, he was getting 1.25 million a week. We're going to uh, divide that by seven. So he was... Oh, give me a bunch of digit. Like after the decimal place. So he was getting a hundred, a quarters a day. Wow! Divide that by twenty-four. 
Every hour, he was getting 7,440 quarters. I think it was worth it. That's a lot. (laughs) And I think that means every minute he was getting 124 quarters. I may have skipped a step in there. The point is, (laughs) this guy has more quarters than he knows how to spend. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that's been movie math. (laughs) Ka-ching! Wow. That That was was painful. Way to go. You say great, I say painful. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, so this guy, he's a millionaire, and Rob Lowe's character convinces him to buy or basically sponsor the show, Mm -hmm. which is weird because, like, this movie, it's... It's very dated, but mm. I could very easily see this movie being done today because as soon as the movie starts with uh, with Garth, I'm uh, sorry, Wayne, talking directly to the camera, he's like, hey, I'm Wayne, and I have, he's just walking through his house, and I have a cable access, access show called Wayne's World, and then he just like starts walking through, and he... I felt I felt like it was the opening of a Kickstarter video. He's like, <laughs> "I want to do Wayne's World full time, and with your help, we can." Like I was expecting it to be like a crowdfunding video, because yeah. they just like, "Oh, this this feels like a Kickstarter video." Yeah, and he's vlogging, it, yeah, yeah, basically. Um, and then we also have like a lot of random, really amazing cameos. We have young Ed O'Neill as a creepy donut shop guy. And I did not realize how much Ed O'Neill has aged until I saw him as this. Like, I'm like, that's married with children, Ed O'Neill. Like, he was young and he has aged so much. Yeah. And he still is like middle aged in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like he's a teenager in the film. He's uh he's been around a while, yeah, and and that that whole scene that happens at the donut shop, maybe my favorite joke in the entire movie, or no, it's not my favorite. It's one of my early favorites because uh, my favorite one is towards the end when Wayne's girl ex girlfriend gives him a gift. She's like, "Hey, happy birthday!" and or happy anniversary. Oh yeah, happy yeah, anniversary. They broke up. We yeah. broke up two months ago. <laughs> happy anniversary. He said, it's a gun rack. She's like, you don't like it? I don't even own a gun, let alone many that would necessitate a rack. She's like, okay, well, if you didn't like it, you can just... Uh, I don't uh, own a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I love that. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, another interesting thing about the uh, movie that I wrote down, I said, oh... They said that's what she said before the office did. Yes. I was super surprised by that. That's what, she, yeah, when Garth is holding the uh, picture of Claudia Schiffer from Guest Jeans, mm-hmm. uh, he, he says, uh, I'm getting tired of holding this. Uh, and then it's, that's what she said. Yeah. Yeah. So you heard it here first. Wayne's World originated, that's what she said. Is a fact that we just made up. So yes, it's very possible we will do another film <laughs> that predates this film, uh, where we hear them say that's what she said. And yeah, I have to retract that. It, it, it's probably gonna be Citizen Kane. Citizen, yeah. That instead of Rosebud, he goes. That's what she said. <laughs> Whole movie's about figuring out what she said. 
I thought it'd be a really good movie. Yeah. You hear it? You hear this? This is the reboot people want to see. <laughs> yeah. Orson Welles. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. So the movie. So like we said before, the movie kind of goes in and out of the main plot, which is Rob Lowe's character finding these guys who make this public access show or cable access show in their basement and giving them like all the studio equipment to produce one show. Uh, and they don't even really get into the first episode until basically the middle of the movie. At the beginning, they say, hey, you have the show. Like, great. And then we just spend time with Wayne and Garth throughout the city doing kind of random things that aren't necessarily tied to the main story. And then we like go back into, oh, yeah, that's right. They need to produce this show. And they need mm-hmm. to interview Noah, and they say, oh, by the way, uh, Noah's the sponsor of the show, and he owns it, and go. And yeah. they And they do this, and it was, to me, that's the one thing uh, I didn't particularly like about the movie, only because I think they could have had a ton of fun going with, like, the story that they kind of set up. Because in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, so it's going to be basically the rags to riches story where they started making the show in their basement, but then they have all this access uh, or all this access to this big studio. What are they going to do now? That's bigger and crazier. Uh, like that's the thing I was expecting, but they never really did that. Uh, right. or, or even just like, Hey, we have $5,000 like, because like that's basically the cost to you know, own a show. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, like, when they were on the main plot, I was like, oh, I'm excited for them, like, to really have fun with this and to do all these different big and extravagant things. Like, I was expecting more of the guitar scenes, like, more where he's like, wow, I have this money, I'm finally going to buy his guitar, or now we we can do this thing that we've never been able to do, and it's all these great things, but it comes at the cost of their show having to be this corporate thing that's not their show, or they're not able to do, they're not able to have the same creative license that they wanted, and that's just the direction I was hoping they would go because I really thought it was a great setup. Yeah, and it's uh, it's difficult with these sketch movies, uh, particularly from SNL, where you see them doing things that aren't what the sketch is. You yeah. Know, where, where you're right, we barely spend any time actually in the show, but on SNL, that is the sketch. They're exclusively on the show. Right. Um, at the beginning of the movie, we see them doing their actual show, very similar to what we saw with Galaxy Quest last time. We need to know what the show is so that we can tell when it has been changed. Exactly. Um, but yeah, not having them be in the element that we're used to seeing them can be really difficult. And I think that's partially what's caused the up and down success of a lot of the SNL films. Um, like you look at the Coneheads, the Coneheads for the main part stuck to what the sketch was, which was them interacting in strange ways with their neighbors and other people that they come across just because they're aliens. But right. then you look at things like uh, Ladies Man. Ladies Man is more <laughs> like in the sketch, he is more of like a, he's helping callers come in. But in the yeah. movie, it expands beyond that. Same thing with MacGruber. MacGruber is a 30-second sketch <laughs> that they turned into a 90-minute movie. Oh, so, man. So yeah. it is a big risk whenever you try to to take it outside of the formula that works. But Wayne's World was actually able to make it work to some degree. I mean, you, like you said, you would have liked to see more movie. Mm-hmm. I think what we traded off for is getting to see these characters 
in different sketches that are, are pieced together to be a movie. Yeah. Because um, it really does work in a series of chunks uh, in different act breaks. He establishes what he wants at the beginning of the film. When they're right. driving around, he sees the guitar and says, oh, yes, it will be mine. We know he wants to get the guitar. That's an objective point. He yeah. sees Cassandra. He's like, oh, yes, she will be mine. Another mm-hmm. objective point for him. And so when it, whenever he starts to achieve these things, uh, like he it has the money to buy the guitar when he's mm-hmm. rejected uh, and <laughs> no stairway denied, uh, <laughs> which sidebar was really funny because they actually wanted to use Stairway to Heaven, but they were denied by Led Zeppelin to be able to use the song in the movie. So that's nice. why they were denied. But that that happens right at an act break. And so he he gets his his guitar objective point complete. Him and Cassandra's relationship continues to develop. And so um, we start to see that kick into gear at an act point. He starts to lose his show at an act point. So it's those trade-offs of objectives uh, throughout the movie that stitch it together to seem like a narrative. Um, mm-hmm. But really what we're, we're watching is a, a series of sketches. Yeah, totally. And I think the reason why I wanted more of the, uh, I think I wanted more of them playing into the story is when they were in the story, it was so good. Like the whole, he's like, hey, so what do you think about this guy being a sponsor? It's just like, no siree, no sponsor here. And that sponsor scene <laughs> where they're showing all the product placement, that's my favorite scene. Like, that's yeah. my absolute favorite scene. He said, well, it's your choice. And it's the choice of a new generation. <laughs> <laughs> he holds up a Pepsi. I'm just like, this is great. Like, yeah. and, I, and I liked when they were able to just do things like that. Like anytime they use the devices, like breaking the fourth wall and like talking to the camera, like, Hey, can you come yeah. in here? I don't like this dude. I think he's up to something. Like I liked when they had those different devices and they played with it mm-hmm. and they did more of it in basically like the last quarter or even half of the movie, I'd say. And yeah. like, I laughed the hardest during those scenes. Like when they say, Hey, listen, we got backstage passes to go meet Alice Cooper. Like, as the device to, like, try to, or Rob Lowe's character to try to, like, hang out with Cassandra and, like, kind of woo her. I love that scene. And when they went to go meet Alice Cooper, that was just so much fun. Uh, We got them saying their line, we're not worthy. (laughs) Yeah. We're scum. And I I just love those scenes so much that I would have wanted more of it just throughout. Like, even when they played up the fact that they were in a movie and they say, well, he finally got the girl. It's Wayne and Cassandra hanging out and uh, on big, bold text, gratuitous sex scene. (laughs) Like, I love that. Or when he was crying an Oscar clip. I just, I loved... (laughs) when they played with the scenes that they were in and like, right. like and it's more so just for me wanting it, wanting more of those scenes. Cause it, those scenes happened when it wasn't about the sketch, but is when they were playing with the devices of the movie. Yeah. Like, like the, the like the, uh, the three endings that they had. Oh yeah. Well, the, the three endings <laughs> is really interesting because this movie is a master at setup and payoff. There are yes. things that are totally innocuous at the beginning that double back on the end. So, like, when they're introducing everyone and he's introducing the, the cameraman, essentially, yeah. to everyone. They're walking through the diner. And like, this guy owns the place. This guy is owner of, like, an amusement park. How, how are things going at the amusement park? And he's like, oh, real good, Wayne. And he's just, like, this 
old man they pass by and then he ends up being like the old man winters kind of <laughs> scooby-doo reveal yeah. at the end it's like yeah it is always the creepy old guy that runs the amusement park and in it's Scooby-Doo. the first guy you meet <laughs> right it's the first guy you meet so it's uh yeah playing with those uh those parodies and and the idea of loving what you parody like the, you can exactly. see that peppered throughout it the same kind of thing with the um the Laverne and Shirley montage, which is one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. moments. I grew up watching Laverne and Shirley, even though I was born in the late 80s. I watched a lot of old uh, TV. And so you could see that this was the kind of TV that they grew up with as well. And uh, just skipping down, singing the song. I'm so glad they were able to actually use the real song, too, or else that would have been a complete bust. Like using some off-brand Laverne and Shirley <laughs> theme to do that do Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On the other side of it, there's the uh, the modern references to things that were popular at the time. So whenever he gets pulled over, and then <laughs> oh gosh, and there's the slow reveal that it's uh, Robert Patrick from uh, from Terminator Two. He's the T1000. And he just says, have you seen this boy? Ah! ah. Like, as a kid, I didn't understand that because I hadn't seen Terminator yet. But at the time, that was a really, you know, topical joke to have in there. Oh, I love Uh, that. I I screamed laughing just because (laughs) it was so because it was so out of nowhere. But it, it was just perfect because they that movie does do a great job of breaking the fourth wall. And it really did feel like I was watching like. A cartoon movie, a live action cartoon movie where they were using all these different Bugs Bunny, Looney Tune-esque devices. Mm-hmm. That was just uh, just a lot of fun. So I, I laughed really hard at that, especially when they, at the end, when they're doing all these different things to say, oh, that's a super bummer ending. Let's do the Scooby-Doo ending. All right, now let's do the super happy ending. And, um, and then it just ends like... <laughs> it's like it, it was very much it could have very easily been uh wayne's world the movie movie and right. they, it's just like about them making a movie about the movie that they want to make like i could have easily seen them uh take it down that direction because they uh no one's going to fault them for uh, having fun with the movie and just like all the different movie devices that people typically expect because Again, like that's what comedy is. It's like you take people in one direction and then you shift their expectations. Like I'm, I was not expecting to see the T one thousand. Have you seen this boy? Ah! <laughs> that was just great. Yeah. Did you uh, watch through the end of the credits? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Got some crazy credits going on. Yeah. At least that's what IMDb calls them. Crazy <laughs> credits. Crazy credits. Um. Yeah, but you stick around till the end of it, and uh, they do address that they're in a movie, or yeah. at least being watched, uh, which, you know, they have the cameraman throughout the whole thing, but it's the first time that I feel like they actually address that they have to stay there until <laughs> until the lights go out. Oh, like why would they trapped in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things that I forgot to mention, uh, but Cassandra is played by Tia Carrie. Carrie? Spelled like it sounds. Yeah, so sorry. Uh, amazing uh, fun fact about this, and I did not, I did not know this. She is the voice of Nani from Lilo and Stitch. Oh yeah, she's Lilo's older sister hmm. in Lilo and Stitch. I was like, what? 
and uh and that was like super super interesting and the music video that she was in that Rob Lowe was doing that was super over the top was actually uh, a reference to Pearl Jam uh, who actually went through the same thing for their song Even Flow mm. and apparently they were so unhappy with the finished result that they uh, swore off music videos forever <laughs> wow yeah that's crazy <laughs> uh, interesting thing about kind of art imitating life with Tia's career uh, in 2011 through 2013, she was a voice on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so, so that was her own personal Scooby-Doo ending. Nice. Yeah, she played Old Daphne, Judy Reeves, a waitress. But yeah, she's been a voice actor for a bunch of stuff. Huh, interesting. Yeah. She was also on Johnny Bravo, which if you ever watched Johnny Bravo is <laughs> hilarious. That's but amazing. The, it, but Johnny Bravo was like the most sexist guy. Oh yeah. On television, uh, aside from maybe Joey Tribbiani. Yeah. Uh, he, and he's one below Pepe Le Pew. Like, yes. Just one below. Yeah. It, he's like Pepe Le Pew after a sexual harassment course. Yeah. But it's still not great. Um, and so, but even I'm looking at the listings of like her, the character she played on Johnny Bravo, and even. The listings are sexist. Like she played woman, beautiful woman, and female elephant. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so That's the true. so you know the scene with Wayne and Garth uh, when they're talking on the hood of their car. Oh yeah, with the airplanes. Yeah. So that was the, apparently the last scene that they filmed. Oh, and, and since wait, which was, one? Because they're there twice. So it's the one when they are not arguing, not fighting. Okay, when yeah. they're just going through the puns of Abraham Lincoln and yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so everyone was tired and wanted the movie to be done, so they just ad libbed it. That was a completely improvised scene. I uh, wondered, yeah. And Mike Myers' response to Dana Carvey's question about whether he found Bugs Bunny attractive when he put on a dress <laughs> was 100% real. <laughs> He's like, hey, did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when you put on a dress? No. <laughs> like his response was 100% genuine. And yeah, so that's uh, basically our review of it. So I would say overall, uh, Grayson, what did you think of the movie just as a whole? I thought it was really strong, uh, but you have to look at it from existing in 1992. Oh, yeah. You know, it's very much viewed as like a period piece now where it's directly connected to the time period that it takes place in, yeah. not just because of the technology, but because of the references. If you were to go into it blind today, like you need to have some context for what they're talking about and what this movie, like how it came to be. Um, but once you have that context, it's it's hilarious. I do think it's a standalone movie, but oh, yeah. like it doesn't need the sketches, but you do need to know certain cultural references in order to fully enjoy it. Um, I think it holds up, though. Like As far as a comedic structure, this is exactly the kind of comedy that I like watching. I love buddy comedies. Mm -hmm. um, I love uh, whenever they they have a loose narrative, but you're able to actually see like mini scenes and just explore the comedic characters within it. Um, and this kind of buddy comedy character driven narrative is, is something that just really appeals to me. And also I think it resonates on a very personal level of two best friends that do a show uh, completely for free just because they like it. <laughs> uh, that seems to be 
something that struck a chord in me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't uh, know how many people are watching or listening, and uh, they just do it anyway because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that part about it, too. The uh, Yeah, I'd say that the movie, it's great. I wanted it to be more uh, to some degree, but that's only, I think it's mainly because I love the scenes when it was just about like the, the, the overall story arc. I liked the deviations that they took and it was fun. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what we talked about back when we did the, uh, the peanuts, the first peanuts movie, uh, a boy named Charlie Brown. Oh yeah. You know, we have those side scenes that are kind of like nonsensical or I guess like non-essential to the story, but it's still like a fun kind of break to just enjoy seeing these characters doing these different things. Oh yeah. Like the, the red Baron sequences. And right. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I, like Garth's drum solo is a good example of that. <laughs> yeah. Apparently Dana, that's Dana Carvey's uh, real drum talents. He can really drum that well. Yeah. I mean, he used to drum as the church lady on SNL. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but overall, I'd say that uh, it's definitely a fun movie and definitely a great snapshot of what the early 90s were like uh, before grunge took over and before uh, all the different things on, like, you know, cable television wasn't, like, that big of a thing uh, or satellite. Like, all these different, like, multi-channels weren't as big of a thing, I'd say, back at that time. So it's a really interesting thing to look at uh, especially with the prevalence of YouTube culture and social media mm. and all these other things where people are going viral and having their own shows and getting all their own products and things like that made from having just a, a silly show in their basement where two friends just talk about things that they uh, want to talk about and share it with the world for whoever's willing to watch. I think it's a, it's a cool throwback Uh a throwback Thursday flick for you to watch. <laughs> look at me. Look look at those references. Ah, doing it. He did it. Yeah. Uh, but now we're going to get into the part of the show. That's one of my favorite parts of the show where we go into head cannon. Head cannon. <laughs> yeah. Head cannon is the part of the show where we talk about our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the movie. Um, and I'd like to go first. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's my go-to. Uh, please don't Barrett. steal my. Oh, please, don't, <laughs> please don't steal. Are you gonna steal my head cannon? I want oh, to take it. No, do it. Do it. No, it's yours. Take it. No, take I was it. just it's gonna. <laughs> oh, my... <laughs> I want you to take it because you're actually gonna take it somewhere awesome. No, I no, just want to take it. Just Here, here's what we it. can do. You're, you're, you'll say it first. Uh, and people who have listened to every episode leading up to this know what we're about to say, but you'll say it first and then I'll say it like you didn't just say it. Okay. And then we'll say that we're going to edit out one of them for whichever one fits best, but I'm probably going to leave both of them in there. Perfect. I'm also probably going to leave this explanation in there too. Do it. All right, cool. So we're all on the same page right now. What's your head cannon, Ricky? So my head cannon is, uh, that Garth, it's just a figment of Wayne's imagination, a la Interesting. Fight Club. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> because Garth is super shy. He's almost like his conscience. And, you know, Wayne drives most of the plot forward anyway. So, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Nice. So you're saying that that Wayne exists and Garth is a figment of his imagination. Correct. Okay, cool. My headcanon is that very similar to Fight Club, they are actually the same person. Um, now I, I know I've I know I've gone to this uh, this well occasionally in the past. Every now and then we dabble, um, but I would actually say that I think that uh, Garth is the real person and Wayne is a figment of Garth's imagination. Oh, that's good. Uh, See, I I knew you do. But I'm glad it's it's a little different. But okay, so some of my evidence for that, uh, one, the fact that we know that Garth is a inherently a daydreamer, um, right. in the fact that he did the drum solo where everyone shows up and is cheering for him. Um, also the way that he fantasizes about the donut girl, oh, um, yeah. and uh, very active imagination. I mean, he finds female Bugs Bunny attractive. Uh, he's also uh, the only one that drives. He uh, it, like physically operates the car. It's his car. Um, wait. No, I just it's realized. Wayne. Well, he drives at the beginning. Yeah, that's incorrect. Because uh, whenever they're driving to Milwaukee, uh, he's right. cutting the the licorice. Licorice. Huh. Just found out. I, I can't say that word. Licorice whips um, from the from the ceiling of the car. But yeah. I still would hold that um, like kind of like Fight Club, how he just displaces himself into the other image like it was actually him driving but he pictures wayne driving yeah um yeah i think garth is the real one and wayne is the personality that he has adopted yeah um so when wayne gets kicked off the show that's why it's still garth there panicking because he's lost that part of himself uh that empowers him yeah yeah Yeah. also why there's only one female interest really like he we never really see him with the donut girl we just are implied that she's around. Mm. Um, but Cassandra is actually uh, like she's real much in the way that Marla in Fight Club in, in, interacted yeah. with them. Like she Man. sees them just as one person. That actually fits really well. And in the same kind of thing, I mean, look at the way they talk to the camera. Both of them, he says one of the first rules whenever Ed O'Neill starts talking to the camera is he comes back and says, hey, only Wayne and Garth. Talk to the camera. We're the only ones that can talk. Yeah. Uh, just like how uh, Edward Norton is the only one that can really talk directly to the camera in Fight Club. You're right. Uh, Interesting. Oh, there, and yeah. it also ties in because Meatloaf is also in this movie. Yes, he is. That is ah! Meatloaf. <laughs> His yeah. name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. Well, um, and here's yeah. another interesting uh, thing. It might tie into yours, but my... Because the T-1000 is in this movie, in mm. for me, it takes place in the Terminator universe. Oh, absolutely. Which means, to me, everything that happens as a result of all the Terminator movies, Wayne and Garth are active responders and participants in... Uh, trying to fight the robot uprising like i think that they are mm -hmm. in the um because we have that scene with garth hitting the mechanical hand like the little mechanical hand that he starts oh programming. my goodness come on it's right oh there oh my goodness he created the robots he is responsible for skynet Slash Genesis or whatever they changed it to. Genesis, yeah. Genesis, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Genesis, yeah. Genesis. <laughs> oh, so, wow. That is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. That's, 
I'd say that's the best headcanon yet. Uh, wow. I would love to take, because you know how I love to recut films. Yeah. I, I just want to take T2 and put that one scene of Wayne being pulled over in T2. And so, oh. and so you're just like, I'm going to sit down and watch Terminator. Yeah. Uh, and like when, plop right down. And the show that they're watching is Wayne's World. Because remember, there's that scene where they're watching TV. They're like, someone's like, where the T... The T-1000 shows up to that house where... John uh, Connor? Yeah, where John Connor's foster parents are. They're watching Wayne's World? They're watching a TV... Or the dad's watching uh, the t- a TV show. And we can fit in that they are watching oh. Wayne's World. <laughs> Just cut in the clip from when Rob Lowe is, is watching it. Yeah. yeah. I, I do love that uh, it's a very common thing with sidekicks in these buddy dynamics. Um, that they are the ones that are more technically driven. Yeah. Um, and so I love that he just has all that stuff in his car already. Yeah. Uh, like, he's and like, he's <laughs> the one, guy. One little Easter egg I noticed, though. So, you know, when he goes and like, yeah, he tases the guy in the gasworks. Well, when they go back to Alice Cooper, he's just wearing that taser belt. So he was, <laughs> so he, he, he nice. learned. He's like, if I'm in a crowd situation, I just need to already have the belt on. That's nice. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, man, I love that head cannon, though, that he actually created the robotic uprising. Yep. Oh, that's, that's so amazing. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. So now that you've heard our head cannon, now we're going to uh, move on to uh, my second favorite part of the show where we talk about recasts and remakes. Uh, how who we would recast in this movie if it would be goodness. Let me start over again. All right, so that about does it for our headcanon, and now we are going to move into uh, the segment of the show where we talk about recasts and or remakes, where we talk about who we would recast this movie if it was remade, or uh, what remakes we would make based off of the original movie. And one that came to mind for me, uh, there's a little known show, uh, or there's a little show known as iCarly in the early Hmm. 2000s. It's about this girl... And her friends who made an internet show in her bedroom, very much like a YouTube vlogger type thing. And the show ended about two years ago. I want to say 2014 or 13. And it was a really great show. It started Miranda Cosgrove and she and Jeanette McCurdy. Great, uh, really comedic, uh, comedic duo with those two. And what I want is for it to be with them like i want them to be like the stars of wayne's world or basically just to make the iCarly movie that never existed oh yeah uh, i would have loved that i was a huge fan of iCarly. in fact uh you know the d- dish i make the spaghetti tacos oh yeah yeah that comes from iCarly. oh <laughs> yeah so that's where that's what i would like to do like i would i think if we if you did that Especially in like today's day, like it, it's so easy for this to be remade into just a YouTube, like a movie about YouTubers, or mm-hmm. um, just have the medium shift instead of it being like a, hey, they have this cable access show. They're like, hey, they have a really popular YouTube channel, and then a TV exec comes in, 
wants to make them popular and spread out. Uh, basically, I'm about to describe all of Josie and the Pussycats, the movie. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, big evil studio comes in and takes over, makes them change their image into something that they aren't, and then they rebel against the machine and realize that the only thing that they really need is friendship. So, there it is. Yeah, because friendship pays the bills. <laughs> Live in the real world, Josie, and subsequent pussy cats. You're not going to oh. send your kids to college on friendship. All right. No, I, I think <laughs> I think you're totally right about the YouTube angle too. I would love to see Wayne's World three where it's Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, and they just ha they're older but have a popular YouTube channel. Yeah, I, I'd yeah. love that, and uh, and I think besides thinking of it in the YouTube angle, let's just say we were to remake it, but just as like a period piece of the '90s, mm -hmm. I would love for them to do Wayne's World 3 but it takes place in because I, I know so the second one came out the year later right yeah so Wayne's World is 1992 mm -hmm. Wayne's World 2 is 1993 so then Wayne's World 3 would be in 1994 they could even make a joke about like wow it's been a really hard year and just like in the fact that they look so much older from the year before oh Wayne how you have grown <laughs> How you have grown. <laughs> well, I would love it if it was a period piece about uh, 1999. I would love oh, for okay. there to be a Wade's World 3 where they are a little bit older, uh, but it takes place in 1999, and it's all about, like, the new millennium. And oh, We're super worried about Y2K. Yeah, and they say, you yeah. should be Wade and Goth. You should be. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be pretty fun. Um I think a uh, a recasting, if we were to keep it in the early 90s and just redo Wayne's World, um, I would recast, say, instead of Mike Myers as Wayne, I would cast James Franco. <laughs> and then oh, at, yes. for Dana Carvey, uh, Garth would be played by, um, say, Josh Gad. Josh Gad. Or, of course, Luke from Modern Family. <laughs> Uh, I, I think all of those are uh, yeah. spot on. Yeah, no, Josh Gad, I think, would be a, an amazing Garth. Yeah, so. Josh Gad would be good. Um, Seth Rogen, but then it's just Pineapple Express. <laughs> then if you want to keep Seth Rogen as Garth, you could recast Wayne as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but then you just have 50-50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, you know who I love, especially with it being a 90s movie? I would love for it to be Keenan and Kel. Oh my goodness. Keenan yeah. and Kel, uh, same premise. I just want a Keenan and Kel movie uh, more than what I want most things in life. <laughs> but I feel like the Wayne's World model would work really well for them. Just yeah. like them doing their own show or them doing their own shtick and it be about like how the Keenan and Kel show even got started kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. that could be like a fun little origin story, like how they met this, that, the other, uh, but then breaking the fourth wall as well. I would love that. So, yeah, I'd also like to see um, possible recasting for Wayne and Garth would be uh, Bill Hader as Wayne nice. and 
Jim Parsons as Garth. Whoa, that's great. Yeah, I think he'd be a really good Garth. Yeah, Bill Hader in Hot Rod looks a lot like he Wayne. Does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Andy Samberg would be an amazing Wayne, oh, and it would keep it yes. like all of it would keep it in the um, SNL family. SNL family. I mean, Bill Hader could honestly be Garth as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just it's Bill Hader as Garth and Wayne, and then yeah, the head then, is there. <laughs> and then old versions of uh, Wayne and Garth instead of being played by. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey are just played by um, uh, Fred Armisen doing both <laughs> roles. Like, oh, well, that seems like a weird choice. Yeah, no, Fred Armisen and Carrie, what's her last name? Fisher. <laughs> no, from uh, Portlandia. Carrie Brownstein? Brownstein. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would love for them to do Wayne's World or for them to basically do a Portlandia movie but in the Wayne with the Wayne's World plot, like that would be it would be like an inspired movie about like them watching Wayne's World. Like, hey, we can make we can do this. We can make our own show. Mm-hmm. And then it's about them trying to make a show. I would love that. And um, and we haven't talked uh, much about like uh, like who recast like beyond the main two. But like for Rob Lowe's character, uh, I would love. Uh, no, no one more than uh, John Hamm. Oh yeah, John Hamm would be great. Yeah, because he already you know sells everything to everyone. <laughs> Here's why you're going to buy Wayne's World. <laughs> Wayne's it's about World. family. It's about nostalgia. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, and I would love for um, Cassandra to be played by. Uh, <laughs> it, let me think. Let me think. Because originally I was just going to go to my favorite musical artist, and that would be Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Oh no! And then, all right. So then, the role of Cassandra is played by Adele. Oh, I would love to see Adele act. And if it's not Can Adele, she act? does she act? Who knows? She's in the movie. <laughs> That's quite a gamble. <laughs> okay, so it'd be Adele or Kristen Wiig. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, oh no, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, Wanda's World. Oh, that would be amazing, yeah. Let's keep or, it SNL. Or even just keep it Wayne's World. And uh, it's just like uh. 80s Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. All right, so who would you have for the Alex Cooper cameo? Like, what big band do you think mm. would like fit in like a remake? What do they? What do the kids listen to? Yeah, why do kids? Yeah, it depends on if they're still into this style of music. If they're more into like the indie, the indie yeah. rock kind of deal, I think it'd be really funny to have Chris Martin from Coldplay be this oh yeah this kind of above it all kind of guy or that he's completely different they're like we just want to chill with him but he's like no let's go and like i'm pumped like let's oh do it like, you're so opposite from your music two words kanye west that would be amazing i would love it if he just went back and it's the same kind of shtick just like oh man mr west is so great to see you uh, so do you come through uh illinois a lot it's like huh well you know um not really, but Illinois. Or he had, he is actually is from Chicago. He's like, well, actually, yes, but additionally, Illinois has 
had quite quite the history with having visitors in the early 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Chicago Fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the history of Milwaukee scene with Alice Cooper <laughs> is so well delivered that you have to get a star that can do that same kind of exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like it would it would be him or um who else is a music? Oh, I guess Adam Levine. Adam Levine, yeah. Yeah, it has to be someone that has that personality of being like they don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, I have it. CeeLo hmm. Green. CeeLo Green. Green. Or, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, that I think that I think that'd work. So this is going to be uh, an added on just game. So Ooh. you have to choose three alternate ending styles. Oh man! For the movie, so they went with like Scooby Doo style. They went with super bummer ending and then super happy ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. What would your three different endings be? Okay. Uh, one would be a Coen Brothers ending <laughs> where just about everybody is dead, but one side character delivers a pretty lengthy monologue. Um, I would uh, then do a, a Quentin Tarantino ending where most of the characters are dead, But then one side character does a pretty lengthy monologue. (laughs) I'm sensing a theme. And then I would do a Muppets ending uh, (laughs) where they don't meet their objectives, but they're happy because of friendship. (laughs) And then there's a pretty lengthy monologue. (laughs) Like like Muppets go to space where uh, everyone's dead. And then... (laughs) A side character. Then Beaker does a pretty lengthy monologue. (laughs) Roll credits. All right. (laughs) That's good. Uh, So here's mine. So uh, my first one would be uh, going back into the cartoon style. Mine would be the Charlie Brown ending where they don't get the record deal, but... Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie Brown is reminded that, or Wayne is reminded by Garth that he's still a good man, and then they all uh, hum the, <laughs> the the Christmas song. That's the true meaning of cable access television. <laughs> Lights, please. <laughs> uh, so that'd be my first one. Um, <laughs> the second one would be um, in the style of a western, where they have to. Uh, for no explainable reason, they has they have to duel, uh, mm-hmm. and then when they say like they they shoot Rob Lowe's character, he goes down, and then Wayne and Garth share a horse as they ride off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one is the Back to the Future ending, where they have to go back in time and make their moms fall in love with them. Oh, that's good. That's a solid ending. Yeah. And that's how I end the movie. Oh, wait. I do have one more. Okay. A, uh, a Wes Anderson ending where everybody's dead except for one character that does a pretty lengthy monologue. <laughs> Sorry. I just thought of it. I should have. I no, that's good. That. Oh, yeah. okay. So another one would be the Law and Order SVU ending where <laughs> where they, they find out who did the crime 
Um, and there's victory in that, but the world is still a terrible place to live in. Right. That's why we got to come back next week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wayne's World 2 is just like, oh, man, someone's out doing some horrible crime. And then Wayne and Garth solve it. But then the world's still a terrible place to live in. Nice. Oh. In the cable access television system, there are a few shows that go above and beyond to end crime and party on. Schwing, schwing. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Oh, that was great. I like that. All right, guys. So that is our uh, review of Wayne's World. Again, uh, like we said before, the movie is on Netflix. So if you want to uh, take a look at it and see the different points that we made or have your own uh, head cannons based off of what we said, do so and let us know what you thought about it. On Twitter, we are at Flashback Flicks. And if you enjoyed our review of this, uh, give us a review on iTunes. And we will give you backstage passes to the next Alice Cooper performance coming to a town near you. Is he still touring? I'm going to look that up. Is he? I don't know. Because if he, there's, what if we get an Alice Cooper fan that is so mad at us because it's like, I left your review and you didn't get me tickets. Wow, he is. Yeah. So that's a promise uh, from Grayson's wallet to you. Um, I'm not <laughs> paying for a flight and hotel to Biloxi, whatever the postal code for MS is, on <laughs> April 29th. Some results may vary. But yeah, so be sure to tune in next time where we... Launch into a month of February rom-coms with Meg Ryan. That's right. Meg Ryan specific rom-coms. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them, and we are going to get the party started with the classic When Harry Met Sally. Mmm, little Meg Ryan, little Billy Crystal, and spoiler alert for those who want to plan ahead, uh, the following three rom-coms after When Harry Met Sally will be the three movies that Meg Ryan did with Tom Hanks. Yeah, all three of them. Well, except in the nineties, yeah, the 90s. we're not we're not going to count Ithaca from two thousand fifteen because um, I didn't see it. I don't know if it's even a rom com. I, I just know they is. were both in it. So next week's going to be when Harry met Sally, then Joe versus the volcano, Sleepless in Seattle, and then you've got mail. Buckle up, it's a Meg Ryanathon. A megathon. Oh my goodness! Why did I say mine the janky <laughs> way? It was right there. A megathon. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, perfect. February Damn. on Flashback Flicks is a megathon. Megathon. That's right. So we can't wait for you guys to listen next time here on the Flashback Flicks podcast. And remember to be kind and rewind. <laughs>